every four seconds, seven people die. Seven people. Seven more people. Seven more people. If you're like, that's disturbing, why did I come to church tonight? That's a good feeling. It should be disturbing. It should feel wrong. See, we live in a culture where we try to ignore death as much as possible. In many cultures around the world, and even in our own country years ago, we couldn't do that. In the 1800s, 46% of children died before their fifth birthday. For those of you with kids, can you even imagine that? being a statistic that you just lived with. Sometimes you'll see old pictures of a family and there will be like a small child kind of propped up in the picture in their best clothing. And sometimes that child had just died and the only opportunity to get a family photo was right now. That's horrific. We live in a culture where we have done our best to remove death from the everyday. Uh, I remember I was eight years old in 1990, and I got word that my grandfather had died. And I remember very little. I don't ask my wife. I don't have a very good memory. But I do remember driving through Post Falls on the way to Western Washington, and it was snowing. And I remember thinking, I'm going to miss school. And then we got to the Seattle area, and all of the family was there, and, and I knew Grandpa had died in his sleep, and there was a memorial service. I don't really remember much of it, but if it wasn't for the fact that I knew Grandpa was gone, it would have just been kind of like a family gathering. We went to, I don't know what it was, it might have been a funeral home. That's kind of a weird word, a funeral home. Who lives at a funeral home? But it was very, very normal experience. Even, I went to a funeral with an open casket about a year ago, and people go to great lengths to make dead bodies look good, look nice, like they did when they were alive. Because we just don't want to deal with death. Alexander Schmemann is an Orthodox priest, and he writes, in this world, suffering and disease are indeed normal, but their very normalcy is abnormal. They reveal the ultimate and permanent defeat of man and of life, a defeat which no partial victories of medicine, however wonderful and truly miraculous, can ultimately overcome. He says, everybody knows that death is all around us, but everybody also knows that there's something wrong with that. Peter Thiel, who founded PayPal, and Sergey Brin, or, yeah, Sergey's his name, Brin, who uh, founded Google, are investing billions of dollars into figuring out how not to die. They're investing in gene therapy that makes your cells not age, and they both have a spot at this Arizona company that will freeze your body cryogenically and for a time to where science can revive you and cure whatever disease you have. 
That's open to the public, by the way. It's just $200,000. They have room. But we live in a world where we just know there's something wrong with death. And this is in the best scenarios, the best cases. The lo- I lived a good long life, or, or, or however we try to phrase it, it's just my time to go. We still think that's something wrong with that. But what about in like the worst cases of death? What about Jesus' death? We celebrate Good Friday this evening, and this is the day when earlier in the day, Jesus would have been crucified. He would have been murdered by the Roman government at the request of the Jewish leaders. He would have been tortured and executed as a criminal. And not just anybody was crucified in Rome, only the worst of the worst were crucified. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and perfected by the Romans, not as just a tool of the death penalty, but as a way to strike fear into the hearts of their enemies. Cicero, the great Roman orator, says, Roman citizens shouldn't speak of crucifixion because it is too disgraceful for the ears of decent people. Women were rarely crucified, but when they were, they were crucified facing the cross because no one could bear to look at the face of a woman who was going under that much pain and disgrace. And this is the death that the man we call our Savior died. Open up to the Gospel of John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew, and it's on page 955 in those Bibles. Jesus has just entered Jerusalem for his final week. This would have been on Palm Sunday, last Sunday on our calendar. And he's speaking with some people, And he says in verse 23 of John chapter 12, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Son of Man, if you've been with us through our Matthew series, you know that the Son of Man is a special title that Jesus gave to himself. And he got it from the book of Daniel, where Daniel, the prophet in the Old Testament, sees a vision of God on his throne. And he sees an empty throne next to to God. And below are all the nations of the world being represented as just these ravenous beasts. But God destroys the beasts, and and Daniel says, one like a son of man, a perfect human being, rises up on the clouds and is seated down on the throne next to Yahweh. Daniel calls him the Ancient of Days. And Jesus says, I'm the son of man. I'm that human being that is somehow also able to sit next to the Father on the throne. I am also God. This is one of the reasons why Jesus got in trouble with the religious leaders is because he claimed to be divine. And he's come into Jerusalem and his followers, his disciples are like, yes, we're gonna conquer the Roman army We're going to kick out the bad guys. We're going to restore the kingdom under Jesus. I'm probably going to get a sweet job. It's going to be great. 
And Jesus seems to say that. He says the Son of Man is going to be glorified. Glorified means to be praised, to be lifted up, to be honored. In the theater, when somebody steps out onto the stage in blackness and a spotlight comes down on them, all eyes fix on that person in the light. That's what it is to be glorified. And Jesus' people are probably thinking, yes, this is what we want. But as we read on, we find that Jesus is very clear about what it means for him to be glorified, and it's not what anybody thinks. We live in this world where death is the enemy. We all run from it. Crucifixion by the Romans is failure for the revolutionary. And yet Jesus is looking at the cross and he's willing to respond to this enemy by allowing it to overcome him. And somehow death is going to become victory. He goes on to say in verse 24, truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. See, the wheat doesn't have anything to lose by staying by itself. It's not going to be gotten rid of. Jesus doesn't give us any other details, but because he doesn't, we can safely say that the wheat is fine. And this we have to remember because sometimes in the church we think, you know, God got lonely and so he made people because he needed some friends. And that's not true. Our God is a trinity. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three persons in one being are in this cosmic love relationship and they're united and they have been since before time began. They don't need anything. And yet as the overflow of that love, they decided to create the world and put people on it so that they would be glorified by our worship and friendship with them. But Jesus says, if the wheat falls to the ground and dies, it produces much fruit. The wheat doesn't have anything to lose by staying alone, but it has much to gain by being planted into the ground. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews says in verse 2, you back up to the back half of verse one. He says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross, despising the shame, despising the shame, and not to be crude, but Jesus gave the shame of the cross the middle finger. He didn't care about the shame of the cross because of the joy that lay before him. If you turn back a couple chapters to Hebrews 2, we learn a little bit more about some of what that joy was. 
Verse 10 of chapter 2, he says, For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the source of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus was in the process of bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Jump down to verse 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For the joy that was set before him, this possibility that he would redeem men and women for himself, he went to the cross. There's this neat thing about culture. We, we write books and we make movies and we tell stories that, that we pull down from deep inside of us. And they resonate with people because there's, there's like a base layer of like truth that we know about them. And, and it comes out in interesting ways. And um, there's this movie trope that's in a lot of sci-fi. And I'm a sci-fi fan. It's in Star Wars and it's in Guardians of the Galaxy. But my favorite is in Men in Black, the first Men in Black movie. If you haven't seen it, I, I, th- I think I can, I can recommend it. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a long time. But... In the finale of this film, Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Will Smith are members of this government agency that keep the world protected from aliens. And this villainous alien that's like a giant cockroach is, they're, is trying to leave the planet with the thing that is supposed to be special. I don't remember. But they have to stop him. And at some point, the cockroach eats their weapons and then beats them around a little bit. And Tommy Lee Jones looks over and says, I'm going to go get my gun back. So he walks over to the cockroach, and, and he looks up, and he starts mocking it, making jokes about bugs. And then he goes, eat me. Do it. Eat me. And the cockroach eats him, swallows him whole. And then Will Smith is pretty upset about that, and then there's some funny stuff that he says, and, and he gets beat around a little bit. But then a few minutes later, you hear this sci-fi sound of a gun powering up, and there's an explosion because he went and he got his gun and he blew up the cockroach from the inside. And this, this is what Jesus' strategy is for destroying death. I'm going to conquer death by letting it eat me. Because, see, death had no hold on Jesus. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Jesus wasn't a sinner. Jesus was perfect in every way. And and so when death clamped its jaws around Jesus, death couldn't hold Jesus. Look what he says in verse 25 of John 12. The one who loves his life will lose it And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And you think, wow, do I want life 
Do I want to be free from death? Do I want to be honored by God? The path, Jesus says, is not around suffering. It is through suffering. Jesus says, this is where I'm going and I want you to follow me. So what does that mean for those of us in this room tonight that say, I want to follow Jesus? We have this brokenness in us, what the Bible calls sin. We have shame caused by our own actions and caused by the things that other people have done to us. We have downright evil living inside of our hearts. And that sin is leading us down a path to death and there's no way to get out of that on our own. You can turn here if you'd like, the book of Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul speaking in chapter 3, verse 7. Everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ." the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul says, I want to know Jesus. Jesus is the source of life and I want to get close. But Paul recognizes that the path to that is often and maybe even always through suffering and death. Jesus says, if you love your life, you will lose it. If your priority is yourself and your own ambitions and everything that you have going for you, you will lose that in the end. But he uses this word, if you hate your life in this world, you will keep it to eternal life. If you're Attitude toward your, toward your life is such that you do not see it as the priority, but you see Jesus as the priority. Then you can find eternal life in him. So what about those of us that are like, yeah, that sounds terrible because I'm living that. I'm sick. I'm injured. My body is broken. My mind is broken. Paul again, 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he says, like, these things that have happened to me, and he describes some terrible stuff. 
He'd get shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and all these terrible things. But then he says, like, insults. Anybody ever insulted? Hardships. Everybody have a hardship of some kind? Maybe not like Paul's, but in a certain sense, everyone's hardship is their own because it hurts. And Paul says, it's exactly at those times that I am strong. Christ in me is strong. The Christian faith is not, as much as I've talked about death tonight, is not a religion of death. We don't appreciate death. We don't come to terms with death. We don't reconcile ourselves to death. Alexander Schmemann again says, only if Christ is life is death what Christianity proclaims it to be. Say that again. Only if Christ is life is death what Christianity proclaims it to be. Namely, the enemy to be destroyed and not a mystery to be explained. We don't live in a world where we just need to go, you know, that's just the way it is. We live, hopefully it's a good run, and then we die. Because Jesus beat death on the cross. Jesus allowed it to consume him, but it couldn't hold him. And two days from now, he's going to rise from the dead declaring victory over death and giving new life to those that would trust in him. Death is not able to hold us if we are in Christ. We've been studying through the gospel of Matthew and, and, and Jesus just healed a little girl and he went into her room. This was a couple weeks ago in church. And he went into her room and, and, and all these people were weeping over her because she was dead. And, and Jesus said, she's not dead, she's just asleep. And they all laughed at him because of course she was dead. But in Jesus' mind, no, death is the end. And this little girl has not met her end. And he raised her from the dead. And for those of us that have put our trust in Jesus, I've repented from sin and said, yes, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need your life in me. Death is not the end for us because Jesus has conquered death. One last passage, Revelation 21, verse 3. This is either the last chapter of the story or the first chapter of the story, depending on your perspective. 21.3, then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. 
See, death has been defeated and it is passing away. And we deal with, with the oh, the scum of death, the off-scouring of death, just dissolving into the kingdom of God. Today, we still get sick. We still lose loved ones, but Jesus' death has conquered. And we know that by his death, we are healed. We enter into a relationship with him And as we suffer, as we get to know him by suffering, we become closer to him. And ultimately, he's going to end death altogether. And so everything that we are dealing with, all the sufferings, all the trials, Paul says they're momentary. They're they're passing away too. And see, on on this Good Friday, Jesus' people didn't know that. They weren't aware of that. They thought maybe they'd screwed up. They followed the wrong revolutionary. What if the Romans find out? What if the Romans come after us and our families? What What do we do? Where do we go? We've given up our entire lives to follow this teacher, and everything's falling apart. See, we know better. In two days, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. But yet we still live like those men and women sometimes. We still act like everything's falling apart. What are we going to do? But Jesus is risen from the dead. It brought us new life. And as we Remember his sacrifice on the cross. We look forward to his resurrection on Sunday. We're going to sing a few more songs. And I would encourage you to just spend some time reflecting on Jesus, on the sacrifice that he made for you if you're a Christian tonight. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're just here because it's the hip place to be on a Friday night. You can have everlasting life. You can have new life in Christ by just saying yes to Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about faith and our, our culture screws up faith. We don't have any idea what faith means. Trust, allegiance, that's what that means. If you haven't and you wanna give your allegiance to Christ and say, Jesus, your death paid for what? should have been mine, and I want new life in you. You can do that tonight. The communion table will be open. There's wine and juice and bread. Jesus said this would have been Thursday. He got together with his best friends and said, this bread, this is my body. It's it's broken for you. This cup, this is my blood shed for you the cup of what he called the new covenant, a new set of promises, a new way that he was going to interact with his people by giving this gracious gift of doing the work that needed to be done that we couldn't do. 
And so we get the opportunity to just remember that, to think about that, to apply that to our own hearts. So I'd encourage you to sit or stand. You're welcome to walk around the perimeter of the room and and, um, interact with the Stations of the Cross artwork. Come up and take communion and uh, just worship with us as we sing. Jesus, your death is a bit of a paradox to the world. Your word says it's foolishness to the eyes of the world. And yet it's the only thing that can bring us life. as we remember those that we have loved, that we have lost, as we struggle today with illness, hardship, insults, whatever that might look like. Jesus, you said, if if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like to follow me. I'm going to the cross. for each one of you. God, I pray that we would both rest in your gracious gift, the fact that you gave your life for us and that we would be compelled to worship you and compelled to act, that we would shout the good news that Jesus is Lord and he has come save sinners. God, in this holiest weekend where we gather and and, and even Target is filled with Easter stuff, God, help us to be joyful and bold in our proclamation to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers. There is life in Christ. God, your salvation didn't look like anything that anybody thought it would. And I feel like the way you guide us isn't like anything we think it should be. But help us to trust you. Help us to have faith. To day by day swear our allegiance to the Son of Man. who conquered death. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.